Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Brandon Lewowski, Senior Director of Research at House Canary, to talk about AVM rulemaking and how AI is helping in the battle against appraisal bias. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so for having me, Sarah. I appreciate it. Um, I know it seems like such a long time ago, the NBA conference, we, we connected and, and now we're here, you know, talking on a podcast. I really appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So, you know, I um, for a couple of years, I wrote and edited the um, appraisal newsletter that we have called um, Appraised Value and on valuations. And just in general, uh, valuations of all types are very interesting to me. I always want to know what's going on. And one of the conversations you and I had that I feel like just hasn't gotten a lot of um, attention, especially lately, is when we talk about AVM rulemaking. And so I would love to, to get your, um, you know, we're going to talk about challenges and appraisal. We're going to, but let's focus right now on the AVM rulemaking, which of course was announced in June. Um, there was a comment period. Kind of tell us where we are on that. Yeah. So back in June, uh, the, the regulatory bodies of, of housing, you know, CFPB, OCC, uh, FHFA, just to name a few, they, they, they've been working the last 10 years on how they can sort of put guidelines and, and, and rules, regulations kind of around AVMs, when they should be used, when they should not be used, uh, with kind of the goal of, of promoting, you know, the safe use of these, you know, AVMs, these automated valuation models. So for the longest time, you know, we've been, as, as an industry, we've been kind of following uh, Dodd-Frank. You know, there was four factors originally in Dodd-Frank. Uh, with the addition of this new fifth factor that was proposed back in June, which was to uh, in order for AVMs to be to be used throughout the um, mortgage industry, more specifically in you know loan origination, secondary market, uh, we also have to make sure now that uh, these these AVMs are also following you know the Fair Housing Act. They have to be non discriminatory, um, and that was basically the the biggest addition to Dodd Frank. If you're not familiar with Dodd Frank, uh, the, the four original factors were you know AVMs must be high confidence. They must they're subject to random testing and random sampling. Um, there should be no conflict of interests uh, when producing these AVM values. And then, uh, of course, the, the protection against manipulation of data. So those are the, the original four factors. They came together and they thought it was necessary to, to add this, this fifth factor, which is, you know, the AVMs must also follow the same non-discriminatory practices as we see in the Fair Housing Act and in the same kind of standards that, you know, traditional appraisers are held to. So, you know, having all of those regulators come together on something is pretty unusual. Um, and I think that, you know, the the part that we saw this before um, around appraisals was really the um, the task force, right? That um, the Biden administration made a coalition of these kind of um you know, regulators and the agencies and just a lot of different people is, did it come out of that? Yeah, I think that's really what, I mean, they've been working on it for the last 10 years, this AVM rulemaking. So it's been um, at least on top of mind for, for some time now, but when the PAVE task force uh, was created under the Biden administration, that's really what kind of sped things up, especially from the industry standpoint, right? Uh, There was 2021, when you know Freddie Mac first released their study around you know the potential of of 
bias in the appraisal system historically. That's kind of what started this whole conversation. And, you know, me being a director of research at House Canary, also with my PhD being in kind of the fair AI aspect of, of AI, I went to our CEO and I was like, hey, we really have to make sure if we want to be a future of appraisals, we have to make sure we're not falling subject to those same um, critiques that are being brought up in, in some of the research by the GSEs. So we met with the PAVE task force. We went to DC, we presented, you know, what we thought were, were appropriate standards, very, very strict standards uh, for AVMs, especially in the loan origination space. Um, and through this process, they had the comment period, which, you know, we've been very, very vocal about what we think is the best, best path forward in terms of how to really manage the use of AVMs. But the PAVE task force, the Biden administration, and, and, you know, more specifically, you know, Sandra Thompson at the FHFA, they've really kind of pushed this initiative forward and really sped up that process of how can we really get ABMs uh, into this, you know, loan origination space and secondary market. And so we had, you know, we had the some of the trade groups come out and say, you know, here's what we think, Here, you know, kind of like a public comment for what they wanted. Um, some of the things they wanted to be included, one was for, you know, smaller lenders to be able to do things a little bit differently. Um, from your perspective, is this something that that the industry, whether, you know, big lenders, small lenders are really aware of and and taking into consideration? De- definitely. It's, it's a big conversation happening right now in terms of the trade associations. Um, we're actually, you know, MISMO being one of the organizations that I've talked to very closely over the last, you know, six, seven months. Uh, we're finally finally have a date in the book where we're all going to meet up as an industry and really sit down and try to whiteboard some ideas around the proposed rulemaking, some of the suggestions that I've made on how to properly, you know, formulate this so that we do reduce any sort of, you know, risks associated with using, you know, AI technology, especially with that being, you know, the buzzword in today's, in today's industry. Um, but I think what's really difficult for kind of the smaller lenders, the smaller banks, kind of the way the rule is written is they are, there are guidelines, but there's not really a path forward to reduce a lot of the time and resources that the big banks do have to implement AVMs, such as the, you know, years long of testing, building data teams to model validate, uh, to make sure that these systems do meet those five factors. The way it's written, there's not a lot of infrastructure or or things put in place that could help the smaller lenders kind of leverage the ABM technology, they're going to have to kind of fall back to traditional appraisers um, if the rule is passed, you know, as written. So let's talk a little bit about um, AI's role here, because we know that, you know, especially early on, like if, if you, depending on what you feed it, depending on where it's, it's uh, looking, what it's looking at and what it's learning from, it could be just as biased as anything else. Correct. hundred percent. Correct. So, I mean, uh, the whole saying that everyone you'll, you'll see in every Twitter feed or, you know, X feed, uh, every LinkedIn post, uh, you know, garbage in garbage out. And that's a hundred percent true when it comes to these AI models, right? Whatever you're feeding it in, um, it's going to learn from that data and then reproduce um, similar results. So that was the biggest concern when we first started doing this. Like, you know, typical most, a lot of AVMs do, they all basically rely on historical data to at least understand market trends, the, 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 how the, the current real estate environment is behaving. 
And we want to make sure as we're training these AI models to make, you know, these very important decisions, you know, loan origination is, is kind of the biggest investment a family will make in their life, um, owning that property. So if we're going to be using these AVMs, uh, we believe that at least initially, while these technologies are rolling out, these standards that we're, we should be writing as an industry should be extremely strict and extremely prescribed. That way we are preventing as little risk and potential of of bias through ethnicity, through gender, from leaking into our AI systems and producing and reproducing some of the findings that are being brought to attention. So this all starts from, you know, really understanding the variables that we're putting into the model, but also testing this model post hoc after the training is done, after the model produces, you know, valuations and estimates, making sure we're attacking this AI models from both sides, making sure things like gender, ethnicity, crime rate aren't being passed into the model where they can leverage some of these, you know, protected attributes or, or, or proxies for those attributes and leverage those to make decisions. And then also making sure that, you know, like I said, post hoc, that there's not some sort of, you know, secret or crazy connection being made within this neural network that can also guess the homeowner's ethnicity, race, gender. So approaching it from both sides, I think, is important, making sure that these AI models aren't replicating what's being done or what has been done historically, according to some of the studies, um, and really having these strict prescribed standards in the beginning. And as AI systems get better, get more trusted or more transparent, then maybe you can kind of uh, loosen the grip a little bit. Uh, But in the near term, it should be extremely prescribed and strict to prevent any sort of misuse. You know, whether it's a manual appraisal or a human appraisal or automated, one of the challenges is, you know, if you have a neighborhood that was historically redlined, right, then all of the, all of the, you know, data coming out of that neighborhood for, for decades is pretty much undervalued compared to everything around it. So one of the, the questions has been, how do you find the real value of, of, of a home in that neighborhood? Do you have to go outside of the neighborhood? Um, how do you approach that kind of thing when you're when you're training AI? It's like, is it do you, do you say you know a, a house like this? Like, how do you negate the neighborhood factor, even though neighborhoods do have a, a, an effect on valuation? Yeah, yeah this is a, a pretty pretty big question that often gets passed around. Right, is historic redlining has that affect current valuations? Um, kind of two things here. One, uh, the way that that I approach AVM and model training is you want to have the most fair market value as your target variable. Um, When we're training these models, we're trying to predict the arm's length transaction price. What is an independent buyer, independent seller willing to pay for this property? Two opposing parties, opposite goals. um, If they agree on a price in our current environment, that's probably the fair market value for that property. Once we have that fair market value, we train our ABM models to predict that price. That reduces a lot of the uh, some of the historic redlining um, that, that we see in our valuations because we are predicting that price versus an historic price or an appraised value, which uh, has has had some critiques in, in recent times. Um, by training that model, predict that arm's length transaction, not family transfers, not fire sales or short sales or you know distressed sales. Focusing on that as the target variable does help reduce quite a bit of that uh, discrepancy between you know adjacent neighborhoods. And additionally, you know, having the data 
to really inform these models. When you think of a traditional appraiser, uh, they may pull in, you know, let's call it 15 comps at max to really do their analysis. Um, when we're training these, these, these AI models, we're pulling 500 to 1,000 comps. And that typically expands adjacent neighborhoods, uh, homes in that same neighborhood. Uh, but more importantly, you know, I think of that story in Baltimore where they 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 misappraised the value because it was on one corner of a square street uh, and they only brought in uh, uh, comparables from the majority black side of the neighborhood versus, you know, encompassing all surrounding properties. When we have 500,000 comps, examples of recent sales that we can bring into, it really shows where this property fits on a distribution. And we can support this value by data saying, okay, this house is not undervalued, it's not overvalued, it's supported by these comps. We have a distribution of, of thousands of sales that we can support this price with. Combining that with a correct target variable really reduces some of that uh, issues that we've seen historically with undervaluing kind of minority homes or, or minority neighborhoods. I would think that in, in this case, you know, the incredible... Um, refi boom that we had when you think about 2020, 2021, even into the beginning of 2022 would be great, would be a boom to you guys because it's like, okay, now we have fresh data and we have some data that was in a market that even, even you know, maybe historically uh, discriminated against neighborhoods where they become very hot sought after properties. So, you know, a lot of new data points that are more recent, right? Yes and 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 no. The, the issue with the refi um, is when we're training these AI models, I'm, we're trying to not predict that refi price because typically that's done by by an appraiser. That's one person's point of view on that property, and just being being in industry now for for five years, dealing with lots of customers, especially in in the refi space, or think of like the HELOC loan space. Uh, there is some benefit to the business to overvalue a property in order for them to then qualify for a refi or a HELOC loan, right? I think of, it kind of goes back to the standards piece, right? When I use an ABM, I want to make sure that they're only being used in safe and appropriate ways. We've had some clients ask us if we can reduce our standards of ABMs in order to open up a wider range of ABMs to their business use case because ABMs are cheaper, they're faster, um, but their use case was inappropriate. They're doing the HELOCs. They wanted us to reduce our confidence of our ABMs so they can then offer their clients a wider range of HELOC loans, right? That's a business benefit. So during this refi boom, while the data is important, especially in, you know, in verifying property characteristics, going back to your garbage in, garbage out, they gave us a lot of data, you know, really good data from validating property characteristics and GLA and lot size uh, versus really leaning on that price. Cause there is some potential conflicts there when we, we leverage refi or HELOC prices into our ABM models. Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying that. Cause absolutely that you can see how that would happen. Um, let's talk about, you know, timeline for um, the rulemaking to become finalized or for them to release that? Do we have any, an, uh, do we know when that's going to happen? So they have a year after the comment period. So in, in June, it was uh, officially proposed. Uh, we had 60 days as an industry or anybody involved who wanted to read and, and propose, you know, their comments. House Canary, myself, I wrote up a comment letter. We submitted that extremely early 
I think within the first 15, 20 days of the comment period in order to hopefully persuade some of the trade groups and uh, other, you know, stakeholders in the mortgage industry to, to follow, follow suit with what we're, we're, we're kind of promoting and, and supporting. Once that comment period is done, 60 days, then they have a year to kind of either finalize the rulemaking or just scrap it all together based on, on the comments from, from the public. Gotcha. So we, we are about halfway through this process. Um, halfway through. Yes, ma'am. Okay. That's, that's good to know. Um, I love it that you called me ma'am, you know, instantly makes me feel, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so polite. I got called, I got called sir the first time when I went and talked at a university, my old (laughs) university TSA. And someone said, thank you so much for being here, sir. And I was like, "Ah, I know I'm a dad, but do I look that old already? So I was in Indianapolis <laughs> last week and uh, the person checking me out to get my tea called me both dear and honey. And I was like, wow, okay, I have I have progressed into the thing that we're a random stranger <laughs> dear. I was like, I like it. You know, I, you could call me a lot of different things, but um, no, I love that. Well, let's talk about, because one of the things, obviously, so bias has been um, a driving force between, but behind what the Biden administration wants to see with valuations. But another thing has been affordability. Right. So um, they they want to they're trying to look at all different parts of this um, transaction and say, how can we make it cheaper? Um, and then, you know, also, uh, that's that's one of the reasons they came up with a, a whole bunch of, of new um, things they could do. One of one of the other things was in the last, say, three years, appraisals became a pain point in the process, right? Because it took so long. And so I think, you know, AVMs definitely were, um, became more popular and, and other automated ways of doing this. What do you think, you know, contrast the challenges that, that we're facing right now with appraisals versus like in the middle of that kind of hot market? Yes. I think obviously we all know and aware that appraisal as an industry, uh, is going through some, some rough times right now, especially in terms of overall employment, right? I think, the average age of appraiser last time I checked, um, so I'm not, I'm not super recent on this, but this was like as of, as of last year, the average age of an appraiser was like 65 years old. Um, not many appraisers are coming into the industry. So it is a, a industry where more are exiting than coming into. So that population slowly declining. Right now, that's not a big issue. We don't really see uh, a, a big delay in appraisers or appraisals, like you said, because we are in low market activity. So there, there's not a large demand for doing, you know, a, a large sum of appraisals every month. I think one of the biggest pain points right now, you know, right now is the time to to fix it, right? We're in a low market activity. We don't need, technically need AVMs right now to speed up the process because of the amount of, of, of loan closings plus the amount of appraisers. But right now is the time to really iron out the wrinkles and figure out, okay, when the market does return and we have normal activity on a monthly basis, when and where can AVMs, uh, I don't want to say replace them, but substitute some of the traditional appraisers uh, in some of these markets. And what I mean by that is I live in a master planned community, right? There's 7,000 homes in my neighborhood, all built from 2020 to, to current, seven different floor plans, all in the same lot size with a few exceptions. We have enough data density in this neighborhood to be very confident in our estimations, especially with the the progress made in computer vision where these homes are getting listed, we have photos. So we can see, has there been any big changes or damage in these photos? 
in these kind of situations, there's not really a, a super, you know, a large need for a traditional appraiser. We have data, we, they're, they're newly, newly built homes and they're all copy and paste of each other. That's where an ABM really succeeds. Um, whenever we get to these properties that are, you know, 15 acres, 10 bedrooms, you know, nine baths in a rural area, we need to send out a local expert who really understands that market. But for about 40 to 50% of the market, we have the data, we have the technology to speed up this process. So <laughs> I always go, why is the, the, the speed so important, right? I think of a homeowner who potentially could see, well, maybe not so much now, but during the, 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 the interest rate hikes where a homeowner all of a sudden, uh, because of appraisal took too long, they're now having to reapply and now their mortgage rate is, you know, 5.5% higher, right? That's, that's a big cost to, uh, to a homeowner, not a big deal as, as of right now due to the kind of, you know, these rates kind of stabilizing, but any sort of, you know, interest rate hike again, um, that could be very expensive to a homeowner. Uh, additionally, you know, appraisers are typically more expensive than an AVM and AVM, depending on who you go to is at the most, you know, a couple hundred dollars versus some of the appraisers, especially like in California area are, you know, upwards of $1,200. So when you think about the closing costs of, of the mortgage industry, AVMs can speed that up, can make it a little bit more affordable for, for homeowners um, versus, you know, when, when we close on a loan, the lender's not, you know, taking in that appraisal cost that's getting passed to the homeowner. So anything we can do from a technology standpoint to speed up time to close and also uh, reduce some of those closing costs, I think is a benefit to the actual homeowner, which that goes into the whole affordability piece that been really pushed hard right now. Um, the closing costs, as much as the administration has tried to decrease the closing costs, um, closing costs are still still increasing. And I think technology can be a solution to help mitigate some of that price. What do you think, um, back to AI, what do you think has happened in the last year that makes AI, um, you know, using AI in this way, you know, more efficient, um, you know, getting better results? Like, you know, from, from a consumer standpoint, we see sort of the explosion of AI on an individual level, but I don't know how that translates to like something that like what you're doing. Sure. So I think, first of all, OpenAI as a company has made AI such a cool thing in today's world. Um, I have family and friends who had no idea what I was doing in my PhD. And then overnight, they became like AI experts, which is I think is is, is, is wild. Um, I mean, it's, it's such a good tool. And, and you know, OpenAI, they made it publicly available. And Anybody can just type into query and they get an answer, right? And that, that's a specific part of AI. That's called, you know, generative AI. I think in my space and, you know, in the ABM world, what has really, really impacted ABMs in a positive way was actually the progress made on the computer vision side of the house versus the language side. Um, a lot of work has been done on the language side, like reading realtor comments and uh, appraisal comments, but a realtor is trying to sell a house. They're going to make this house seem absolutely perfect in the comments and trying to use that to leverage the price could give us those biased results. On the computer vision side of the house, being able to upload photos and within seconds, minutes, know the condition of that property based on the photos, uh, that's been a huge, huge win 
for the AVM community because now we're not in the past, you would have an AVM value and then an inspector report and you would staple it together and you would turn it in. That's not a condition informed AVM. Those are independent. Now we have computer vision. We can get that condition score, feed it back into our AVM model. And that AVM model will then be uh, conditioned on whatever the current condition of the property is. And that's been a huge gain in terms of accuracy in AVMs, because now with MLSs being more uh, digitized and having, you know, photos and, and listings made to their to, to brokers, we're able, able to kind of leverage that data to really make sure we have condition informed AVMs, not AVMs that are independent of the current condition. So I think that's where the AI has actually made a big, big impact on AVMs because now we're looking at countertops and is that a General Electric versus a Viking stove? Is there is there granite versus quartz? Like we're able to understand so much of a home now just from the pictures that it makes the AVM values much more accurate. And do those pictures have to come from a professional? Could those be from the homeowner? So uh, that's a great question. We've been asked that uh, several times. We typically leverage or our current, we only leverage MLS photos. Um, we've experimented in the past with users, you know, uploading their own photos to then inform the valuation. But then uh, I we think of the example where, like, currently my next door neighbor just had their kitchen renovated. I want to I want to get a refinance my loan. I'm going to go next door, take pictures of their kitchen, upload it to my my home profile, and then now they think my home is worth X amount of dollars when it was kind of uh, an adversarial attempt to increase my property value. So typically right now we're, we're really kind of focused on MLS photos that are professionally taken and, and meet those MLS standards in terms of, you know, no humans in the pictures, no, no fisheye cameras to make sure that they're legit and they follow uh, the standards from, from each MLS. What are you excited about right now? Looking at 2024, right? We're all looking to this new thing, hopefully more volume. We're going to see hopefully mortgage rates come down, but from, from what, for what you do, what are you excited about? Uh, I, I don't want to be cliche here, but uh, I'm actually really excited about the generative AI piece. Um, so much of our customers right now, it's a very, I'll call it manual process. Like you have to ask us specifically what you want and we're going to send you more data than you can ever imagine. And then it's their job to get that data and also kind of tell their own stories. Like they gave us a high, high level like overview of what they're trying to do. We provide to them the data necessary, and it's kind of their job to to analyze and piece together all the important pieces to solve their business problem. We're there as kind of to assist them in that process. Where I think Gen AI is going to take us is that communication layer between customers and the large amounts of data that we have. Now they can just interact with the data. Hey, I'm looking for, you know, a home in this zip code, but I want to make sure the LTV is less than, you know, 60% and the list price is somewhere around 400 K and have a real natural conversation with our data and have our system be able to give you those results, you know, instantly versus, Hey, house canary, here's my entire business plan. I'm trying to solve, uh, what data should I be using? Having gen AI once, you know, it's proven to be efficient and safe and uh, fair, which is a lot of research and, and academic, uh, academics going on right now around uh, how to make sure these foundation models are fair and, and, and unbiased. Once that is ironed out, 
giving the user the power to interact with the data themselves is now going to pass some of that creativity and power to the user, kind of what we've seen with ChatGPT and, uh, you know, I think I call it social media. Now everyone can post really good content on social media with the use of ChatGPT. Now, when we have that available in the AVM space, customers can just solve their their business problems on the spot versus having to wait for House Canary to develop, you know, the proper data structures and the API calls. They just have that communication with the data right away. So is that a current capability or is that a 2024 capability? Uh, it's a current capability with a lot of caution. So it's a lot of testing going on right now to make sure that as we are giving that sort of power to users, A, going back to the whole transparency and fairness and uh, uh, Dodd-Frank, you know, I call it Dodd-Frank 2.0, but the new rulemaking, we want to make sure that none of this uh, can also get leaked through these big, large language models because they do suffer from things called hallucinations, which I think is a great name, where they start to kind of make up their own facts and they make up their own stories uh, as users use them more. So the technology is in place. Uh, we just haven't exposed anything like that because we want to make sure as technology increases, we want to make sure we kind of have uh, a very prescribed set of standards built around it to prevent any sort of misinformation or misuse of a tool like that, uh, especially with you know, high value, high risk data, like home valuations. Well, you know what? Uh, I can see why you're excited about it and, and also why all those uh, things are in place to make sure it's it's right. Brandon, thank you so much for this conversation. <laughs> Definitely. Really interesting. And thanks for getting us caught up on where we are. Of course. Thank you so much, Sarah. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be on here. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.